Cahill Summers. And I'm Deirdre Glenn. Your Chagas Sustainability Advisors. And you're welcome to Chagas Environment Edge podcast number 49, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. Since the start of the Industrial Revolution in the mid-1800s, temperature has increased globally by 1.2 degrees Celsius. However, what's even more alarming is the temperature increase has accelerated massively since the 1970s. Dr. Tom O'Dwyer, head of the Chagas Signpost Program, chats to us about how we have found ourselves in this situation, Ireland's climate action plan, but most importantly, how farmers can be part of the solution to this global problem. Tom, look, you're very heavily involved in agriculture, number one, I suppose, and climate change, number two, looking specifically at gaseous emissions. But just to get a bit of background on what's going on, not just in Ireland, but globally, what, what has happened, I suppose, that we find ourselves in the position that we need a climate action plan to, to um, I suppose, get ourselves out of trouble? Yeah, good question, uh, Carl, to start with. Um yeah, um, a lot of scientists have looked at, looked at this, um, and I suppose what has emerged is that uh, since the start of the Industrial Revolution in, in the mid-1800s, um, globally, we've seen an increase in temperatures. So temperatures have increased by 1.2 degrees Celsius since about the 1850s. Uh, the second point is that um, that increase in temperature has accelerated over the last 50 years. So there was, you know, a modest level of increase between, say, 1850 and 1970. But over the last 15 year, 50 years, between 1970 and 2020, that has just accelerated massively. So um, massive upturn in the graph of temperatures in the last 50 years. Um, that increase in temperatures is then linked to an increase in the concentration of the three greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. So there's been an increase in the concentration of CO2, methane, and nitrous oxide in the atmosphere. And, and they all stand now at, at, um, at rec- record levels. And I, I, I suppose then the final point I'll make is that uh, it's now recognized that um, hu- human activity has driven this increase in greenhouse gases uh, which has caused the increase in global temperatures. Um, and uh, we've seen a massive increase in the global population, but we've also seen an increase in um, the activities undertaken by the uh, our global population, including our patterns of uh, production and consumption. Um, so that, that's at a global scale. On a national scale in Ireland, uh, we too have seen an increase in our temperatures. So our Met Service have looked back at temperature records over the last 100 odd years. And over the last 110 or 120 years, temperatures in Ireland have increased by just short of one degree Celsius. So our, our, our climate is changing also in Ireland, although sometimes we, you know, we, we mightn't realize it, but re- records suggest that it is. I've seen some of the stuff you've presented before over the last 100 years, and it's scary to see the change. Number one, the temperature. I, I think you have a lovely graph where you look at the temperatures and you have them colour-coded where the, the temperature change goes from blue to red, and it's very red in the last 100 years. Like, wh- what have we done in the last... Wh- what, has, what have we changed? Is it just a population change, or are we doing things differently? Uh, wh- what's gone wrong, really? Well, so I, I guess... Carl, it's it's a combination of both, um, and I think it's it's it then can be traced back to um, our increased usage of fossil fuels. So the extraction of fossil fuels from the ground and uh, the burning of fossil fuels to provide heat, to provide energy, 
to power our cars. But also then, um, you know, we, we can't run away from the fact that um, because of consumption patterns by that larger global population, uh, we have seen an increase in agricultural production, um, including in Ireland. So, but, um, you know, if there were no farmers, there would be no food um, and the growing global population requires to be fed. So there is a balance to be struck between food production and minding the climate. Um, um, but that said, I think we have to accept that agricultural production generates greenhouse gases. So it is part of the problem, but I would be uh, putting forward very strongly that agriculture can be also part of the solution. Yeah, fully agree. And one thing that people often say to me, you mentioned one, one degree, uh, Ireland went up, say, one degree in, in the last hundred years. Some people say, what's what's the degree to be between friends? Is it, is it that big <laughs> yeah. of a, a jump? Yeah, I, I suppose, you, you know, you could look at that. But, it, but again, um, um, I suppose the, the first point I'll make on that is that uh, if we look at the predictions for what's going to happen to Ireland's climate in the future, so we're likely to have the earlier start to growing season. That's a positive. Uh, we're likely to have um, more droughts, maybe not such a positive. We're likely to have more extreme weather events, not such a positive. Um, we're likely to have longer growing seasons. That's that's going to be a positive for Ireland. So there, there could be a mixed bag in terms of the impact of climate on Ireland over the next 40 or 50 years. Um, but I, I think on balance, um, it, it, it wouldn't be positive. Um, but the, the worrying thing is that if you look at the, the modeling work that has been conducted by scienti- climate scientists, I suppose the scary thing is that once we, once we exceed 1.5 degrees and definitely 2 degrees Celsius, that they, they talk about um, passing, um, I think, tipping points, you know, that, that once it's, it's, it might only be 0.1 of a degree Celsius between, say, 1.9 and 2 degrees Celsius, or 2 and 2.1 degrees Celsius. But that 2 degrees Celsius is a significant point. And once you go beyond that point, you, you don't just get you know, um, a small difference. You, you get a massive step change in, 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 the, in the impacts of that increase in temperature. So that, that is concerning, and climate scientists have indicated that two degrees Celsius is a significant point. We're already at one degree Celsius, 1.2 degrees Celsius above where temperatures were uh, back in the early 1800s. So it's not like we're starting from zero and, and we have all that space up to two degrees Celsius kind of to, 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 to play with. We're at 1.2 and really we have to, we have to limit it uh, to 1.5. So it, it might seem like very small things, but the climate, climate scientists tell us that, um, yeah, they can lead to significant changes. Yeah, look, and if you're talking to anybody out in farms or in the J pitch or the pub or whatever, I think people, most people would say that they do see some change in our day-to-day weathers. For example, southeast, I think we had three decent droughts in the last five years and many droughts there as well. So I, I think people couldn't complain about that. So yeah. in order to combat it, I suppose, Ireland has designed a climate action plan. Um, who has developed the, the plan and what's in it? So the Climate Action Plan was the, developed by the Government of Ireland. Um, so all the government departments are involved. It covers all the major sectors of the economy, uh, including agriculture, but, but also transport, energy production, um, 
res residential and um, office construction, um, land use, land use change in forestry, and uh, did I say transport? Uh, there are six, six sectors anyway, in, in, included uh, Cahal. So um, it, it covers all of those sectors. Um, it's a requirement of the Climate Action and Low Carbon Development Act of 2021. So a piece of legislation that was in, in, intro, introduced. Um, and it's a requirement that the Climate Action Plan is revised and reviewed on an annual basis. So the 2023 version of the Climate Action Plan was published just before Christmas. Uh, and um, yeah, it's the action plan now that the the whole of government um, is is wor is working to deliver on. Yeah, and there, there was a big um, Ferrari, I suppose, in the in the papers on the news about I suppose how much of a reduction the agricultural section would have to commit to. Uh, what 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 are the emission reductions for agriculture, and how do we stack up against the other sectors? Yeah, you're you're quite right, Carl. There, there was a lot of um, discussion uh, in the media up to the middle of last year. Um, uh, and eventually, in late July last year, the sectoral emissions targets were agreed. So the target for agriculture was 25%. Uh, so agriculture is required to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions by 25% compared to a 2018 base by 2030. Um, but also, I suppose, what we shouldn't lose sight of is that beyond 2030, uh, we, will be, we will be required to do more and to get to a position of, of uh, climate neutrality by 2050. Um, so 2030 is, could, could be described as you know, a stage in the journey uh, to get to 2050. Um, in terms of comparison with other sectors, um, agriculture has the, the lowest target of the six sectors. Um, personally, I'm not so sure that it's helpful to compare agriculture with other sectors. Um, agriculture has got its target. That's what we should focus on. Um, let, let energy worry about its target and transport worry about its target. Um, and comparing one sector with the other, not so sure that it helps because it, it, you know, it start, raises questions of, you know, why did agriculture get this target and energy has a higher target or transport has a higher target? Um, that, that all happened, as you said, there was a lot of talk in the media up to the middle of last year. All that was debated. Targets are now set. And quite clearly in the Climate Action Plan, um, it's stated that the carbon budgets are agreed. Sorry, the legislation is in, is, is in place. The carbon budgets are agreed. Um, the Climate Action Plan now is, is agreed. Uh, it's now about getting on with the job and, and making things happen, about, about getting things done. So the yes, the targets are there. I, I, I think we need, we need to focus on, on, on um, getting things done now and, and helping farmers to make changes. Yeah, look, I agree. I think we spend a lot of time with in-house fighting, a bit of a blame going on instead of concentrating on, on, the, on the solution rather than the problem. Uh, just one thing to clarify for me, we talk about the 25% reduction and we talk about uh, megaton carbon dioxide equivalents. Can you just explain to people what is a carbon or megaton uh, carbon dioxide equivalent. What does that mean? It's the unit within which uh, greenhouse gas emissions are measured. Um, I suppose is, is is how I'll start this answer, Carl. So a bit like you know, you measure distance in kilometers or miles. You measure greenhouse gas emissions in um, million tons of carbon dioxide equivalent. Uh, there, as I've mentioned earlier in the in the conversation, there are three main greenhouse gases: carbon dioxide, that's CO two, methane, CH four. Uh, and nitrous oxide, N2O. And 
it was decided uh, at an international level a number of years ago that in order to report on the greenhouse gases, that they would all be reported in, in, in terms of carbon dioxide equivalents. So obviously carbon dioxide is, is carbon dioxide, so you don't have to do any translation on that. But in terms of the methane and nitrous oxide, they are converted to uh, carbon dioxide equivalents. And what it is, has been agreed is that uh, methane uh, is, is and both methane and nitrous oxide are more potent than carbon dioxide. So in other words, um, one kilogram of methane is 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide, one, one kilogram of carbon dioxide, and uh, one kilogram of nitrous oxide is 265 times more potent than one kilogram of CO2. So those conversion factors are used to convert methane and nitrous oxide to what are called carbon dioxide equivalents. Um, and Irish agriculture is responsible for 5.75 million tonnes. So our greenhouse gas national inventory is calculated by the Environmental Protection Agency. It's calculated on an annual basis uh, for agriculture. The main determinants of our um, greenhouse gas emissions are our animal numbers, uh, particularly uh, bovines. Um, but, but all animals, animal numbers, because they, they generate methane, um, fertilizer use and how we use our land, uh, because that generates nitrous oxide and carbon dioxide uh, comes from our use of agricultural diesel, um, mainly from our use of agricultural diesel. So, so I think once, once listeners understand um, or can get their, begin to get their head around the different types of gases and what uh, what drives the production of the different types of gases? I think that'll help uh, farmers understand how their farming activities are contributing to this 5.75 million tons. Um, but the 5.5 sorry, my final point then is the 5.75 million tons of carbon dioxide equivalent for Irish agriculture is 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 the sum uh, of greenhouse gas emissions from each individual farm. Okay, it's 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 a national estimate, um, and each each farmer contributes something to that overall figure. So what you're telling me is, if we were looking to insulate the world, nitrous oxide be the high quality insulator, methane the next good quality insulator, and then carbon dioxide. Even though there's much more of it, the the power of insulation is not as strong. But it just, I suppose, what you're saying, Tom, is uh, nitrous oxide, methane are powerful insulators and they'll contribute to global warming, so we have to reduce them. The important point on methane, I guess, is that while carbon dioxide and nitrous oxide remain around in the atmosphere for a long, long, long time, okay, uh, methane is, is a short-lived gas. So after between, somewhere between maybe 12 and 20 years, uh, it, it, it's starting to, to disappear again. Uh, it, 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 it's what's called a short-lived gas, whereas the other two gases are very long-lived. So, and, and what that means is that the carbon dioxide that was released into the atmosphere on the burning of coal and, and other fossil fuels back in the late 1800s and into the early 1900s is still in the atmosphere and will continue to be in the atmosphere for hundreds of years to come. So th there, there is a distinction from, from that point of view as well. Now that's a vitally important point to make because we can't turn the switch off today and, and the problem will be solved tomorrow. So, I, that, yeah, that's definitely a big one. Uh, other people would say, Tom, to play devil's advocate, and I would often say actually to me is 
we're such a small country. How like we have very hard targets to meet. Are we really going to make a difference? Yeah, very good point. Um, there's there's a couple of ways of looking at that. Um, firstly, that there is only one atmosphere into which all these greenhouse gases are uh, released. So whether the greenhouse gas, the t- the extra ton of greenhouse gas is released in Ireland or in um, you know Germany or in France or in a, the United States or in China, it's it's a ton of additional greenhouse gas gone into the atmosphere and it, it causes a problem. So and the UN in its latest report last year, you know, recognized that fact. Every, every extra ton of greenhouse gas um, makes a difference. So that's that's one point. So we, we that that's a reason for 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 playing our part. Albeit that other countries um, can play a much bigger part. Okay. Um, the second point um, on that is that as, as a country, we are signed up to various international agreements to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So, for example, um, the the Paris Agreement, uh, which was an agreement at the end of COP. Uh, um, oh, I can't remember what number of COP, but the COP in twenty. 15, wasn't it, in, in Paris. So the agreement at the end of that from all the participating countries was to limit uh, the increase in temperatures to 2 degrees Celsius and preferably to below 1.5 degrees Celsius. So Ireland is a signatory to that agreement and is, is bound by that agreement. And also Ireland is, is part of the EU and the EU has its ambitious policies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So as a member of the EU, Ireland is expected to take action and play its part. And the third reason that I'd mention um, is uh, from an agricultural, specifically from an agricultural uh, perspective, um, we export probably 90% of the meat and milk that we produce on this island. And increasingly, our customers are demanding of our meat and milk processors that um, greenhouse gas emissions are reduced on the farm. Okay, are all along the supply chain, but a lot of those emissions are within the farm gate. So for me, the 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 the, the third reason um, for uh, taking action on reducing greenhouse gas emissions is to uh, retain um, and and potentially open up new markets for low carbon beef and milk. Cost, international customers are increasingly demand demanding that um, the footprint of beef and milk is reduced yeah look you make a valid point there because i was on a farm about six months ago and we we're talking about cop actually came up and um, uh, this farm is very sustainability and he said cop needs to cop on and just make good on the commitments that they agree with and just get it get the job done because we're running out of time uh, so i thought it was a good point he made but just getting back i suppose to our climate action plan um what, what are the key targets that are outlined in the plan to reduce the emissions, I suppose? How, how are we going to do it? So, look, the latest, as I said already, the latest climate action plan was was launched just before Christmas. Um, it has included a number of ambitions for agriculture. The, the, the high-level ones are to reduce our usage of chemical fertilizer, um, so down by of the order of 25% compared to 2018. Um, we have we've made significant progress on that in 2021. Now, albeit that was probably driven by the high price of fertilizer rather than the desire to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Nonetheless, uh, in 2021, we probably got about 60% of the way towards that um, that uh, target in in reduced fertilizer use. Um, 
of the fertilizer then that we are using, uh, there's an ambition to increasingly use protected urea because protected urea uh, generates lower uh, greenhouse gas emissions than other forms of nitrogen. Uh, uh, another target it relates to the slaughter age of beef cattle and also the age at first calving of suckler beef cows. Um, there's a target in there about uh, focusing on breeding animals that produce less methane uh, and to increase the area under organic farming. Um, and there's also uh, some things that are maybe a little bit further down the track to make available a methane reducing slurry additive uh, and to make available a slow release uh, pasture based methane feed, feed reducing feed additive. They will, they will come probably later in the, in, in the decade. And, and what, what struck me about the latest climate action plan, um, Cahill, was the increased ambition around land diversification. So it talks about increasing the area under tillage by somewhere between 50 and 60,000 hectares, increasing the area under forestry by increasing annual planting rates, and by increasing the area under organics. And if you look at the climate action plan and the target to reduce the 5.75 million tons that we spoke about earlier, um, one third of one third of the um, of the reduction is is linked back to that uh, land diversification options. So, you know, there's there's probably questions over that because you know comment, so, some commentators would would scratch their heads and say, well, look, that that's not going to happen unless there's significant in policy changes and or incentives. Now, certainly in the area of forestry, we, we see that there's a new forestry program. So it's anticipated that that's going to ramp up um, annual planting rates over the coming years. Um, so, you know, let, let's see, let's see if that happens. But that's that's the anticipation that, you know, the, the, the policy, pay, the policies and the incentives now have changed for forestry. And once the new program is approved, you know, uh, the anticipation is we'll see a, a big, big increase in forestry. Um, and, and there was a scheme then to encourage farmers into organics uh, last year. So I, 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 I'm not sure how, how well that was, subs, subs, what the level of subscri subscription was for that. Um, but again, that could have an impact in, in reducing emissions. Yeah, so some of the actions you've mentioned are very, very achievable. So take, for example, protected urea. We had one of signpost farmers on in the podcast there lately, and it's something you can do overnight. And then some of the other actions you mentioned are behavioral change actions. They take a lot of time, like you said, to take policy change. But for behavioral change, you have to persuade people um, what they're doing. It, it, they could be doing something better. So you're head of the signpost program. I suppose, how are you taking what's in that climate action plan and how are you support, supporting farmers through the signpost program? Yeah, so um, our, our focus in the signpost program currently is, is on uh, working with uh, our signpost farmers in the first instance to help them to adopt the climate mitigation technologies. That's, you know, um, so um, my colleague Seamus Carney has, has developed the, the 12 steps to reduce greenhouse gas emissions for dairy and beef and sheep farms. So there are our guiding documents. And we're working with farmers to ensure that um, they correct soil fertility, they spread lime, they use protected urea, they take every opportunity to reduce fertilizer nitrogen, they make better use of animal manures, um, they look at their breeding decisions, try and breed better animals, they incorporate clover and so on. So we're, we're trying to work with farmers 
um, to help them to optimize their production system, both from the point of view of reducing greenhouse gas emissions, but also we're also keeping an eye on, you know, reducing the risk of nutrient loss to waters, um, enhancing biodiversity, and perhaps most importantly, from the farmer's perspective, we're, we're only recommending actions that will um, maintain or increase farm profitability because uh, that, that, that's very important from the farmer's perspective that the farm re, uh, continues to generate an income for the farmer. Um, yeah, so um, we're, we're, we're trying to look at all the angles and we're not uh, trying to help farmers to uh, future-proof their farm through the adoption of, of the climate mitigation technologies. Yeah, I think that's that's something that get lo- gets lost a bit in translation. That a farm has to be profitable. If it's not, how can you farm? You'll have to get it. It just won't work. Um, mm. What I think is very positive from the signpost program, and I've been on a, lo- a good few of them now, is it's very good to be able to have demonstration farms. That there's a lot of output coming. That it's almost set step by step. Um, I suppose knowledge transfer and 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 how to jump aboard and do the same. It's almost like operation transformation. You follow follow one of the people involved and you try and apply it to your own farm. Yeah, you, you could certainly look upon it like that. Demonstration farmers are recognized as, as playing two important roles. The first is to adopt the latest technologies and to be amongst the first to adopt the latest technologies. So my previous answer would have kind of focused in on that p- part of their role. But the second key part is is the part that you've described, Cahill, which is they, they share their experiences and their stories with other farmers so as to convince other farmers that yeah this is you know this this must this 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 can't be wrong you know because you know mary or johnny down the road they're using protected urea or they've receded the field into red clover or in your own you know area of water quality you know they've they've put in buffer margins or they've moved the fence out or whatever you know and if you can see that happening on the ground on a commercial farm in your locality and the farmer is saying yeah you know that was the right thing to do and I don't know why I didn't do it years ago I'm, I'm delighted with it you know that that's a powerful um, endorsement of of the technology so so we're starting in the signpost program we're starting with the signpost farms we have 120 of those across the country and very shortly Chagas um, will be making available a signpost advisory program because our ambition always was to move beyond the signpost farmers and to engage every farmer across Ireland in a in a conversation around climate action and and really to get to ask farmers what can you do on your farm to reduce emissions because it's it's only through the actions of individual farmers that we're going to achieve the reduction of 5.75 million tons of carbon dioxide equivalent you know no no one farmer is 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 outside uh the requirement to to take some action the actions will differ from farm to farm you know there's there's not a there's not a, a one-size-fits-all recipe, but but the challenge will be to to identify with farmers what's the best mix of measures that you can take on your farm um, to reduce emissions while also remaining profitable. Isn't that the biggest mindset change we have to make on farm? Is you know, like for water quality, you can see the the modern data will tell you right your your river's high in nitrate, but. Mm. Uh, for a lot of farmers, uh, gaseous emissions, carbon dioxide equivalents, it's all like an accountancy system. It's all up in the air. You can't see it. And what you can't see, it's harder to believe. It, it's, a, it's a mindset change, really, isn't it? Yeah, cer- certainly you make a good point. You know, um, I suppose, you know, uh, greenhouse gases 
are gases, so they're they're invisible. We'll we'll never be able to see them. Whereas you can walk down to the stream and you can you can see if the stream looks clean or dirt, dirty. But I I suspect as well that you you can be fooled. You know the stream may look clean, but there may be things going on in the water or in the bed of the river that are not good. So you might say, oh that's a that's perfectly clean, but when you go and investigate, it's it's not quite right. So the, so that then means that farmers and advisors like yourself, Carl, have to look at the data, have to go to the EPA to see, you know, what are the figures for that river? Likewise, for greenhouse gases, um, individual farmers at the moment, through their involvement in the Board B quality assurance schemes, are getting some figures for greenhouse gas emissions, but the figures are on a per kilo of product, per kilo of meat or per kilo of milk uh, basis. Chagask, um, ICBF and Borbia are currently working together to develop um, a digital platform which will provide a greenhouse gas emissions figure for each farm. So that to me could be a game changer, um, Cahal, because it will make it, it will go some way towards making the invisible visible. Okay, so, you know, to your point, a farm maybe does a farmer currently doesn't know um, what contribution his or her farm is making to that overall total for Irish agriculture, but we believe that through working with Borbia and and ICBF in in this new uh, collaboration, that from the middle of this year for dairy and beef farmers starting off, uh, dairy and beef farmers will have a very clear picture of the emissions generated on on their farms, and and to me that's a starting point for beginning to look at what are the options to reduce that figure. You have to measure it first before you can manage it. Um, so yeah, that, that's an important development. Yeah, look, if it's written down, it's reality and farmers like figures. So I think you're going about the right yeah. way. I think that you're right, is it a game changer? I'm going to put you on a spot now just to finish up, Tom. Can can we meet the targets or, or is it too late? Um, do you have any advice for farmers listening in now? I, I'd be confident that agriculture can deliver on, on the targets set out for it uh, under the uh, Climate Action Plan. A absolutely. Um, however, it's it's not going to be easy. Um, but a couple of things I'd say. Focus currently on um, on identifying the situation on your own farm. So, so, you know, don't worry too much about the neighbour or, you know, the Irish situation. What's happening on your farm? What what is the number on your farm? What what part of the greenhouse contribution are you make? What co contribution is your farm making to total greenhouse gas emissions? Okay, that that's the first thing. The second thing then is is with your advisor to identify the actions that that you can take on your farm, um, and that are suitable for your farm. What and what contribution can you make to reducing the 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 overall greenhouse gas emissions? And having identified the actions, well then. When are you going to get started? You know, <laughs> today. <laughs> I, 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 I suspect a lot of people listening, probably uh, farmers listening, probably know that have a sense that yeah, there's something there about protected urea that might make a difference, and you know, so yeah, they they they, they possibly have a sense. Um, now, look, may, maybe maybe I'm I'm maybe I'm I'm over maybe I'm not right in that, but I I I think um, that there's a lot of knowledge out there. Uh, I also think that farmers want to make a difference and want to play their part. Um, and yeah, for me, it is look inside your own farm, figure it out for your own farm and figure out what you can do on your own farm. And having done that, then um, 
you can also talk with other farmers. You, you can bring it up at discussion group meetings, bring it up in conversations with your advisor, uh, maybe with your co-op representative, with your meat factory or whatever. You know, what, what, what changes are going to be made or what, what, how, how can I be supported to make changes? So talk to people about it. Don't, don't be afraid to talk about people because it's definitely on the agenda. And we have to figure out ways of getting of 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 of, of uh, making the changes. And the only way we'll do that is by working together. So that means we have to talk to one another. So bring it up in conversations with others. They're, they're my messages. Yep, super message to finish on, Tom. Look, really appreciate your time and keep up with the good work. And thanks a million for the chat today. You're welcome, Carl. That's it for this episode of the Chogs Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Dr. Tom O'Dwyer, head of the Chagas Signpost Program, for joining us on the show. Listen in next time when we talk to Chagas Director Dr. Frank O'Mara about the Chagas Climate Action Strategy 2023 to 2030. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Cahal Summers. Join us next time for the Chogs Environment Edge podcast, signpost to farm sustainability.